Welcome, my friends. You're listening to Be On Air, your companion for launching and growing your own podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Marks. This show is all about the transformational journey of sharing your message through podcasting and entrepreneurship. Learn from diverse experts and guides as we dive into the heart of podcasting, branding, and online business and share blueprints to achieve your purpose. If you haven't already, please subscribe. And if you want to start a podcast or want to grow your show, I invite you to book a free strategy session with me via the link in my show notes or on my website. That's all for now. I hope you enjoy the show and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, everyone. Today, I'm extra, extra excited. I'm bringing on someone who has helped me a lot. Um, When I was an educator in elementary and middle school, I watched his channel and he saved my life many times with really good wisdom. So CJ Reynolds, also known as Mr. Reynolds or The Real Rap with Reynolds, has been a classroom educator for 15 years teaching high school literature and the history of hip hop in West Philadelphia. He's also the author of Teacher Class Off, The Real Rap Guide to Teaching and the creator of The Real Rap with Reynolds' YouTube channel. Reynolds' book and the YouTube channel give viewers an authentic glimpse into what it looks like to teach high school in the inner city while at the same time helping new and veteran teachers be the teacher they always wanted to be. His bare-bones teaching philosophy is simple. In the classroom, relationships are king, and education is only ever about the students. This is a a gentleman very close to my heart in in what he's sharing and, and how he shows up for his students in the world, and I'm so excited to have him. So, CJ, Mr. Reynolds, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I have a ton of questions and uh, we'll, we'll see how far we can get. But the, the first thing I wanted to jump off on is just like, who is your favorite teacher or who was your favorite teacher? So I never, I never had one growing up. I think that's part of the reason I got into education. Um, I didn't like, so I, I had teachers that were, I had good teachers um, my fourth grade teacher, Miss Panchson, my fifth grade teacher, Miss Wilson, were really wonderful. Um, but I never had like that teacher that made me want to go into teaching until I was already just about into teaching and I student taught for this guy named Mr. Z at Win- Winslow Township High School in New Jersey. And uh, he was like the greatest teacher I've ever seen in my life. Like, like I didn't it was like out of a movie or something like that. He was just incredible. And I was really lucky to teach next to him and to have him as a mentor. So yeah, that's probably, but, but again, he was a student teaching with him. It was not like someone that I kind of grew up with. That's super interesting. Yeah. Uh, so it's almost like the absence of that guide and mentor early on was maybe partly what spurred you. But then as when you were older and you were, um, uh, I guess, student teaching, I'm yep. curious, like, what are, what were some of the things that, that made you feel that way towards him? What was he doing? That was, that was different than what you got growing up. He just, I think one, he didn't do anything that anyone else was doing. Right. So like he just, he wore a suit. He was a, so he, didn't start teaching until he was in like his mid forties had already like made his money in the business world before that and was sort of set for life. So it's kind of like reminding me of like Will Smith and bad boys where it was like, yeah, I don't like, like, I don't have to be a cop. Like I'm here and this is why I'm driving this Porsche. And so like he had like this nice car, he had a suit on every day. His hair was like meticulous. He would go to school at like 5.00 AM and not leave till seven 30 at night. Um, and his room was the best room 
that I'd ever been in anyway. And it was like, because he just really cared about like the kids coming in and having like a really special space. And then he was just involved in everything, but he was the kind of guy that would like, could get on stage in an, in an auditorium where like no one was even listening to the principal and just say, Hey everyone, I need your attention. And like, like in seconds, everyone's quiet and paying attention to him. Like he just kind of like, I don't know. He just did this thing where it just made kids like pay attention, made kids want to be around him. He would do stuff like uh, he would teach kids to drive. He would get kids like suits for the dance if they didn't have one and just was going places and doing things. And I just think like blessing young people in a way that I had never seen a teacher do before. That was like, it was beyond academics. And that was what really kind of drew me to him. Wow. I love how you said that. Yeah. He was blessing people. He was giving blessings. I, I've, I felt like that devotion to the students and to their experience and to giving them an environment that would help them connect with what they were learning. And that's really powerful. Um, it, it reminds me of one of my favorite teachers uh, who I, I sadly didn't get that much time with, but uh, the 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 respect is what commands the attention, not the fear, or the power. It was it was respect, and and it was something deeper. And I think, you know, I was listening to your podcast uh, today, the Sunday night uh, teacher talk. Is that am I getting that right? And um, you were talking about that a bit uh, in, in the one episode I was listening to, which is like sometimes people go in trying to do too much, and I know I'm guilty of this of like trying to control a situation because I think, oh, I'm the teacher. I'm, I need to control this and I have to, you know, exert my willpower on it. But, but you, you mentioned this great thing of just like, talk to this student, like what, okay, you don't want to do this. Like what, what it is, what is it that you don't like about it? What is it that you would like to do instead? And kind of giving them some more ownership over their education. That really spoke to me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crucial. It's the difference between like trying to stop a wave and surfing a wave right? That you're just kind of moving with it. And I don't let kids behavior one define me. So if someone comes to my class and someone's acting out of pocket, like I don't let that define like what kind of teacher I am. Um, that student's going through their own thing and we'll figure it out. And maybe, Oh, you showed up. Hey, can you help me figure this out also with this young person? Because they, you know, that's just what they need is someone to listen to someone to talk to someone to give them ownership. Um, classrooms are often just treat it like dictatorships and and it's not i'm not a dictator i'm a facilitator and we have to work as part of a community together to get to where we want to go and yeah 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 and you know so for anyone who hasn't checked out real rap with reynolds youtube channel or the podcast uh highly encourage you to do so to just get some get get an experience because what what you're doing that is so that that took me by surprise is you're bringing your, the YouTube channel is a window into your classroom and you bring your students on and they're interacting and we just get to be part of your classroom. And it's very apparent how fun it is, how much love you put into the environment. And that's really cool to hear that connection between the, the Mr. Z that you spoke about, how he had such a great environment. Cause you, you do the same, you know, I know when you had the classroom, that tree in there that you built is so beautiful. Um, and so, you know, that, the the channel and the podcast and bringing those students in i'd love to dive into like why did you start a channel did you start a podcast and then a channel did you start the channel first could you walk us through kind of how that developed i started i po started posting stuff on instagram as just a joke like silly things i do in the classroom like i use this giant hand on a stick to collect papers 
um because i just think it's funny and it's i mean it's really practical also because it's all awkward when you walk down the aisle and it's like but in the proximity to someone's face it's just awkward it's an awkward moment for a teacher so i used to use the hand on a stick or this these bubble microphones that we use <clears throat> that look like a microphone and then it unscrews and it becomes a bubble wand. And so I started posting that stuff and I was really surprised that people were watching what I was doing and then started doing it. So when I would post about, we have cereal day in our classroom because I think that pizza parties are really boring, but cereal parties are like amazing and every kid loves it. So we just have cereal day where we eat cereal with the least nutritional value and it builds a sense of community that I'm not, is like, if you have a hard class, eat cereal with them. I'm telling you, it will get better, right? So in doing that, some woman hit me back with a DM and she was like, hey, I live in, I teach in Mexico and I did cereal day with my students and it went so great. Like it changed our classroom because we just like sat around and we talked. And then when we had to do work the next day, it was just like, we all had this shared experience to pull from. And I thought, man, first of all, I don't know why, because probably I'm just an idiot, but like, I didn't know they had all this cereal in Mexico. I don't know what the cereal, you know, situation is outside of the United States. Um, but there were these kids like that I never met in a town that I've never been to on a, you know, in a different part of the world that were doing cereal day. And then that happened in like South Korea, it happened in Germany, it happened in South Africa, where folks were just sending me pictures of like, hey, I saw this. And so that came first. And then that was like, well, maybe we should do this on YouTube and make longer form content. There's a number of reasons as to why I do that. And then everything I've done since then has been based on two things. One, I realized that your ordinary is someone else's extraordinary. The stuff you do on a daily basis that you think is so normal or like, or you've been sort of desensitized to it, somebody else might hear and go, no, that's exactly what I need to hear. So I don't pretend that like what I'm doing is like extraordinary. Like I have kids that will tell you every day that like, nope, Reynolds was less than extraordinary today. It was basically like we basically survived school today. Um, but I don't know how the rest of the world's going to perceive it. And then the second thing that's driven everything has been um, we started a podcast because people didn't want to use their data on their phones listening to YouTube or they were using up their data. So they were like, could you put it on a podcast so I could download it? Yes. The book came from somebody was like, Hey, I'd love to have all these lessons like in a book. Could you make a book? Yep. So like everything we've done has been out of necessity, out of just like folks at like, so when we make the audio book, it's because I have like several folks that like, that are part of our community that are visually impaired that are like, can you make an audio book? And it's like, yep, we'll figure I don't know how, but we'll, we'll figure out how to make an audio book now. So that's kind of how everything has come about. Wow. So it's like crowdsourced almost. It was out of, out of the audience requesting from you. So oftentimes I was just listening to a Seth Godin interview and this idea of providing value. And sometimes we don't know how, how to do that. It sounds like from the beginning, like this point of our ordinary is someone else's extraordinary. You, you were, it was almost like these things you were doing that seemed just like stuff for you to accomplish goals in the classroom were actually going viral and going international. And it, it kind of spawned like just this community of people who wanted more from you and wanted to see what, what you, what else you were creating. Yeah. So Seth Godin has this great quote that says people like us do things like this. And I love that quote so much because it's not so much about excluding others, but some people watch my stuff and they don't get down with it. So I've had people comment and they're like, Nope, I'd never do that. I'd write that kid up. I'd call home. I would do this or that. Or they see some of the stuff that I do 
is sort of questionable. Um, like, I don't know, like I, I do wacky stuff in the classroom, but I know my audience, I know my students. So like, if I put tape in someone's hair, it's really fun. It's a, it's a really great, it's hilarious. Um, and if I know the guy and if it's one of my students that I've known for three years and he's walking down the hallway and he has tape in his hair, nobody says anything because they all know that Reynolds put tape in your hair. Or if I do like, interviewing kids in the hallway about why they're late. If we do the floor is lava and that's how I get kids to hurry up in the hallway, bro. I'll tell you what, you gotta, be, you gotta be faster because the floor is lava right now. These are like ridiculous things that we do um, that some people don't like, but it's other stuff that people are like that get it. They want to do also. So I love that idea of like people like us do things like this because it, it is it includes folks that are, uh, I think of our community as like the Island of Misfit Toys from the Rudolph the Reindeer, Red Nose Reindeer movie, where it's like, you might look at that island and think that that's a bunch of broken toys. It's the water pistol that shoots jelly or the Charlie in the box. But that's been my crew my whole life. Like since high school, that's been like the, uh, I've been a part of that slightly left of center group. And to find that community in the world that wants to do this kind of stuff too is so empowering because it just makes you realize that you're not alone and that other people want to get down like this too. And that's so exciting to me. Oh, that is so exciting. And I think the, um, that, that idea of like, even, even if you niche down into such a small group, there's still so many people on the planet that that's like more friends than you need in a, in a couple yep. lifetimes. So there's plenty of um, like-minded souls and yeah, like nothing is going to appeal to everyone and we just can't win that battle. So the best thing we can do is find our individuality and share that as authentically as possible. And that's something that you do so awesomely. And so I, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about just like, this this new generation of teaching and for podcasters listening, part of the reason why I, I brought um, CJ, Mr. Reynolds on is because te- we, we are teaching, we are bringing knowledge to people one way or another, we're bringing something to, you know, maybe they don't consider, maybe we don't consider them as our students, but how, you know, we are sharing with them. And so this whole COVID thing has completely changed the way that we can teach and interact. And I was listening to a little bit about your first week going virtual and stuff. And I kind of have a question for you, like, how do you see the future of education in the digital age you know, COVID, no COVID, just, you know, with podcasts, with uh, webinars, with all these virtual summits, like where do you see things going and how are you using it differently now? And, and yeah, could you just share a little bit about your vision for the future? Yeah. You know, Gary Vee has this really great quote talking about how, like what we're doing, what he talks about day trading attention. And so what we want is attention. And so even in school, that's what teachers always want, right? Can we get, can I get your attention up here? Guys, look at the board, do this. Um, everyone sit down, everyone, are you listening to me? Did you follow the, you're not listening to the directions. Why are you touching that kid over there? Like it is a constant battle for attention. I just think that it's so interesting to me that educators constantly just expect attention because we all have this thought of like who we were when we were younger. I would have never done that. I would have never gotten away with that. But yeah, like that's why you became a teacher because you liked school or because it fit for you. But I think if we're thinking of about all the students, if we're thinking about where where kids come from, what their issues are at home, what their issues are outside of the class. And then we try to get to know the whole kid, right? Like, what are you into outside of school? Like dirt bikes, video games, building computers, uh, making puppets. I had a kid last year that played polo and never knew a kid in West Philadelphia that played polo in my life. Like, I don't even know where you get a horse and I don't, (laughs) I have zero idea. Like I had to go to matches to like, go figure this out. 
But like when you know what kids are really into, then you start looking at technology, not as just like a nice to have in your classroom, but if somebody likes speaking, if they have ideas, if they're into tech and you're like, say, hey, how about we create a progress, uh, like a project or, or some sort of like after school program based around podcasting or vlogging or what have you. What I think you're doing is shining a light. First of all, you're letting kids know that you see them. And that is the number one thing that you can do for a young person. It has nothing to do with what you say. It has everything to do with your attention. And I tell teachers all the time, your attention is more important than your advice. So just seeing someone, finding out what they're interested in, now you got buy-in because you're willing to walk into the world of a student instead of just asking them to come into your world of English or algebra or whatever it is that you're teaching. And when we do that, we are creating a relationship with someone that, that builds buy-in. So now if I'm saying, yo, let's do a podcast or let's do whatever it is that you're doing, you're going to have students that want to do it. What's the future of all this? It really comes down to two things. It comes down to leadership in schools and are schools going to be willing to let teachers fail at stuff? So if you buy the mic and the monitor and the processing software and you have the podcast and it's a train wreck, are we damning teachers? Or are we going, all right, how do we figure this? Like, what do we learn from that? Let's reconfigure it and do something else, morph this into something better. But we have to be willing to give teachers that freedom to do that stuff and then the, uh, the, let them know it's okay if it doesn't go well. I've had a hundred things I've tried before that have been a train wreck, but I was allowed to fail. And then the second thing is teachers that just have courage to do it. It's like teaching is a confidence game, man, to look at some kid in the back of the class that mean mugging you and ask him to pay attention to ask a kid what's really going on and you don't know what that answer is going to be it could be some stuff that you're just like bro i didn't that was more than i ever thought i'd hear in my life but when you when you do that sort of thing you are creating these unique partnerships with students but it takes confidence to be able to do that you know real quick it just takes confidence to go into the world of a student at all. Like, like I'm as a 44 year old man, I know more about Fortnite than any other 44 year old man. That's not living in his mom's basement next to the Christmas decorations. Right. And I never had that growing up. If a, if I had a teacher growing up that had said, you know what? Simile and metaphors, like the beastie boys talk through similes all the time. If they were like, actually let's talk about, um, the, you know, this poem, but in regards to like a fishbone song, dude, I would have bought in in a second but no one ever did it. No one ever told me that the Odyssey is kind of the same thing as Star Wars. Um, but if they did, I would have been like, wait, what? Hold on. Did you just reference like my favorite movie of all time? And it would have been game on. So I think, but it takes that confidence to be able to go into that world of the kids to do that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's so many great things in there that you were saying. And it's it, that, that piece about schools, allowing teachers to fail is the same thing as teachers allowing students to fail and explore. And it is that explore and it is the play. It is playing that actually gives us access to so much inspiration and so many new ideas and so many solutions that we wouldn't if we're just trying to play it safe. And so I feel like that's such a such an important thing. And I mean, this year was just crazy. And my after school programs were cut uh, in March. And so I, you know, I went fully online and I didn't do much work. I worked with a couple youth, just one off uh, on, on Zoom. But I'm curious, like this whole summer, how like that, that must have affected your students so much. And how were you able to kind of stay in touch with them and just like 
be be with your class through this crazy time because I I can tell that you you forge these strong relationships with your students and and they they look up to you and, and trust you. It's just pivoting, right? Teachers are masters at making something from nothing, right? Of having no budget and figuring out a room based on crap you found in someone's trash, you know, your grandmom's basement, the thrift store, a yard sale. And then you can figure that into something that looks like a place that kids want to be. Like my whole room is created out of like stuff I basically found. Um, so like you reference like my driftwood tree that I have <clears throat> this like nine foot driftwood tree in my room. It's just wood from the river, from the Delaware river that I like put in my kid's wheelbarrow and then like drug it home and then like built this thing. But I just think that this, this time in history is no different. It is how are we going to help children succeed? Because if education is only ever about students, how are we focusing on kids and getting and just moving the needle? So it's been a lot of reimagining. It's been a lot of like Zoom calls with, with students from school. It's um, been finding out kids' usernames, like f- sharing usernames and playing Fortnite with kids, playing Among Us with kids, watching the same movies as they're watching and then being like, yo, if anyone wants to meet up on Friday night, I'm just eating cereal and talking about like whatever it is. And then like, and talking about Netflix. And then we just meet up and everyone's eating cereal and talking about Netflix. It's just finding these ways to connect with young people. And then for class, it's like the bar is set so incredibly low right now for what is passes as engaging because look, teachers are, and by all rights, I mean, they're exhausted. This is like 12 and 18 hour days So I decided to get rid of the 12 to 18 hour days. I work from eight to four every day and that's it, unless I'm just chilling with dudes, but like, that's all I work. And then I have time and energy to put into other things, to come up with creative lessons, to change my background, to use sound effects, to look up videos online, like just have random weird pop in things. I got all these things around me that are like just weird props that I use in class. And sometimes it's not even to get laughs. It's just because I want kids to go, yo, Reynolds, what are you doing now? And then that makes other kids turn on their camera. It makes them pay attention for a second because, you know, I have whatever whatever it is I'm using that day, fake mustaches or I put mustaches on my eyebrows and make it look like I have giant <laughs> eyebrows and then I just pretend that they're not really there and I don't know what you're talking, bro, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talk- this is like what I just look like or we're in different glasses, um, we're in robot arms. The bottom line is like finding things that might make a child want to pay attention for a moment. And then as always, reminding them as to why we are doing what we're doing. When you know why, you're far more apt to do something. When you just think it's just work or I just got to do this or it's the grind, it just takes all the fun out of it. So it's like trying to find ways to have fun no matter what. Like put me in a cardboard box with like, you know, a bunch of kids and like, we're going to figure something out and we're going to make it into a spaceship or something. But it's just reimagining, looking around you for what you can use to, to make things magical. Yeah, I love that. And uh, you mentioned magic. And I feel like there's an element of, of magic and performance in, in kind of how you show up and, and keep the engagement and, and are, are delivering surprises and things that are unexpected. And uh, probably having the channel was that too for, for your classes. I'm curious, like, what was that like for the class and how did that change how you taught to kind of have that classroom be digitized? I don't mean now, I mean like on the YouTube channel. Yeah. So there's a ton of, of, of ways. One, the, the best compliment I ever got, and this kind of like is one of the reasons that I've 
had my students in so much it one because they're just hams and they just like everybody wants to be on youtube they don't give a crap if you have five subscribers everybody just wants to be on camera <laughs> and so what i found was that um so i teach at an all boys school in west philadelphia which is a pretty tough neighborhood i'm out at a bar one night with a bunch of colleagues and this mom walks by and she was like mr reynolds can i speak to you for a moment i'm like bro like i had like I already had two drinks. I don't know if this is a, this is a good idea, but she pulls me aside and um, she says, I want to tell you that your YouTube channel and your Instagram are my favorite things to follow on social media. And I'm like, what? really? Like why? And she says, because my boys have had to grow up so quickly because of the neighborhood in which they live that to see them just around their friends and just being able to be boys is such a blessing. And I never even thought of it like that. Like my guys, like, you, I mean, you know, it's like being a teenager, like you're not, not the same around your parents as you were around your friends um, or at school. And nowadays, like schools are so cordoned off. We don't let anyone come in. Parents can't just like, come in and like see what their kid's doing or meet the teacher or something like that. It has to be like during prescribed moments. This was literally a window into the day of your kid where, you know, my guys have to walk to school with a front on so no one messes with them or get on the train or the bus or whatever, or they come from whatever house they're coming from and whatever, you know, problems may be there. And then to be in a space where you can be yourself, that just didn't dawn on me. And so that was such a great thing to hear because you're, you're literally giving people a window into your classroom or into your world and letting people see like what things are really like. And, and you know, the other piece was, I think building this business that my wife and I have been working on for the last five years, which is Real Rap with Reynolds, has been the single greatest lesson I've ever given my students because they are getting to see, they know when I had one subscriber and it was my son. And when I had three subscribers and I'm pretty sure two of those were my grandmother on two different accounts or when like we had no numbers, our quality was less. And now to grow into something where I'm like working on brand deals with you know, Verizon or how Mifflin Harcourt or College Board or Adobe. And to see them, like, not just see numbers go up, because numbers are just not really that important unless you're, like, working with a brand, but, like, because um, they attach that to importance. But to have students see, like, where this has gone over the years and that we have merch out now and that I had a book and that I'm traveling around the country speaking places, to show kids literally I do not know how to do this, but I will work my butt off to try and get better at something and then actually have it pay off is I'm telling you kids that were freshmen when we started this that saw it last year as seniors and were like, bro, like this is crazy. And now that they're in college, they're like, yo, I just check in on your channel sometimes, like see what you guys are doing, or I just need to be around that energy or I miss you guys. It's like that way to like, for them to like jump back in um, to something that they've left is it's just, it's amazing. Whoa. I don't even know if I can like the implications of all that are really profound and beautiful to have this virtual uh, documentation that's living and, and continually refreshed. And it's, it's, it transcends school and college and community. It's this other, it's this other thing that's coming out of it. And that that's really beautiful. And I'm curious, like, have any of your students gone on to create their own channels and brands as a result of just being around you doing that? Kids have tried. No one has. So brands, yes. 
but like not YouTube channels because everyone thinks they want a YouTube channel until they start doing it and they realize like, oh, bro, this is like really difficult. Um, just that act of consistency. So we did an experiment um, in 2019. I ran every day for a year and uh, I posted on Instagram almost every single day. Part of that was a lesson where I was like, sometimes my students will like throw out a challenge and they'll be like, I bet you couldn't do that every day for a year, right? This is one day they talk about this. So I'm like, yo, I'm going to run every day for a year as a lesson in like, yo, this is what this looks like. When it's not nice outside, when I worked all day, when it was parent-teacher conferences till 10 o'clock at night, still went home and ran. It's an interesting tool to even do that with your students. Or when they were like, uh, someone asked me if I could build a boat one time. And I was like, I don't think so, bro. I'm like, but I'll try. I'm, gonna, I'm like, actually, I'm going to make a boat out of one piece of plywood. And then I did it. And then I documented it on YouTube. And I got, took it out to the Delaware River and like freaking floated. It was, it was like an wow. amazing moment in my life, right? It's a really great tool for that too, to show kids that things that are, that are you know, hard are worth doing, that consistency really, really matters in life. That especially as a content creator, if you put out a podcast or a show like once a month, like good luck. I mean, like you might, you might find your, your, your community, but like, if you're going to do it once a month, it has to be absolutely consistent so people can look forward to it. That's been the biggest lesson, I think, in a lot of ways for students, too, is to see that, like, we can do this, but it's it might look, everything looks easy on the internet, but they don't know the grind that's behind it when you're just sitting by yourself at your, at your house. Yeah, totally. It's it's almost like they got a little additional business program added on to the rest of the studies because like you're saying, that consistency, that dedication, the discipline, whether you're running or building a YouTube channel, it's that consistent putting in. And I think that is in today's dopamine, instant reward uh, phone, social media world, we, we're literally being trained for only instant gratification. And if it doesn't happen in five minutes, uh, it's not, no, no point and keep trying. And so I think that is invaluable lesson. So essential, something that I have to keep kind of working on with myself is to look at things with a, a longer timeline, allow more time for things to happen. And I think one of the keys to that is to connect with our purpose and to connect with something that we truly love. Otherwise it's not going to float. We're not going to be able to keep going or it's going to be torture to, to keep doing that. So I think that's yeah. really exciting. So I imagine you started doing all your, you did your own editing in the beginning. Um, did that continue the whole time? Did you, did you outsource it eventually? Are you outsourcing it now? Like what was the, the workload like? Yeah. So I started uh, recording on my iPhone four and editing on iMovie on my iPhone 4. Um, and I did that for <clears throat> like probably a year because I just nice. didn't have, because I, I'm a teacher, man. We dream on a budget. Like I didn't have money for a computer. And then finally made an investment into that and then kind of scaled from there. I still do all my own editing, um, but that's because I like to do it. So it's, you know, I think in building a business, one of the things you realize is that you eventually have to outsource certain stuff. And we do, there are certain things we outsource. So we have like three, three employees right now. It's so hard to do. Cause it's like, you're, you're, you've been the one, you know, the vision, you know, how you want it to look, you know, how hard you worked on getting stuff. So to give something to someone else and, and, and cause what you're doing is you, you, when you show up, you're making a promise to your audience. You're promising a level of quality. You're promising, um, a certain state of, uh, of mind. You're promising like a certain energy, and I try to never come in under that, right? I want to show up like I'm an actual professional. And so when 
outsourcing like so we are we're in the process of like we just found a, a new editor that someone that's going to help me like make far more content than I'm what I'm capable of doing right now. It's nerve wracking to be able to do that to, 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 you know, so the guy that like does my podcast, the people that answer my emails, the people that set up brand deals and, and do my calendar for me and stuff. It's like, you know, it's hard. It's like sending your baby to school and then you're just like, damn, hope, all right, hope you do a good job. And this isn't a train wreck, but um, yeah, so that's kind of what that, that's what that's it's so, so true. The delegation piece and, and it is key to scale in the growth of, of your channel specifically. Was there any, was there like a very specific turning point where it was like, oh man, I'm grinding, grinding. This is super hard. There's three subscribers. And then, oh my God, something happened. And then it's like, this is different. Like this is a new realm. Was there a turning point or was it way more gradual than that? No, it was, it's been super gradual. And I think some of that is like, I'm old dude on YouTube, right? Like most of the people are like young and like super attractive or like really cute. Um, <laughs> and because I think part, part of what YouTube allows us to do, part of what Instagram allows us to do is see is see it before you can be it right like it is this idea of seeing someone do something and then going oh like i could do that and that's part of the reason we started the youtube channel it's part of the mission behind what we're doing is to help people see like this isn't like it's not easy but it's not as hard as you think and so i can walk you through the steps to be the teacher that you feel like you were called to be and so for us you know, every time I thought was going to be a hit, like, so we got to go to VaynerMedia in New York City and meet with Gary Vaynerchuk a few years ago. And then we thought, all right, this is it, man. This is, it's, we're going to pop. We like got all these things ready ahead of time to be able to like have merch and like dial in our branding and stuff like that. And then it happened and it was like, it was a boost, but it wasn't like, bro, like we just blew up. We went back to VaynerMedia again. And since then I've had like, just like really what I think are really interesting people on um, from other YouTubers that have huge numbers. And what I found was that none of that matters, right? Like it's just one, it's putting out something that's worth watching, worth engaging with. It's knowing that your ordinary is somebody else's extraordinary, right? And having, you can't really, so like in my mind, I think like, oh, the people that are going to watch my YouTube channel are new and like, newer like between senior year of college and third year of teaching that's like my target and what i'm finding is like dude i have people that hit me up that are like yo i've been in the game for 30 years and i'm just tired of teaching i'm tired of the kids I'm, I'm so burnt out over this and then they come to the channel to find inspiration or motivation or connection that they're the people that are in the facebook group just because and maybe they're not even burnt out they're like a part of our facebook group because they want to bring they're like, yo, bro, I do the same thing. Let me bring some fire and like add it on. We'll pour gasoline on the fire. That it's like kids that are in high school that hit me up and they're like, yo, I wanted to be a teacher my whole life and I found your channel and I love what you're doing. So I'd say the number one thing that we've done is one, can't let numbers throw you off. It is, it is the thing that people let be the determining factor, how many downloads you have, how many, how many likes you have, how many subscribers you have. You have to, to get rid of that because you know, one of my heroes, Mr. Rogers said, simple and deep is better than wide and complex. And the idea there is that if you have three people watching your channel that you don't know in person, reach out to them. That the way we grew our channel was by literally spending hours and hours and hours on Instagram and Twitter, typing in things like hashtag teacher problems, finding some like sad soul that had the worst day of their life in the classroom 
they tweeted about it and friggin' nobody like they have 25 friends that follow them on twitter like nobody said like sorry you had a bad day did you think about this like no advice no attention at all you're finding those folks and then just saying hey look i really i remember what it was like being a first year teacher it's really difficult if i can ever help with anything please let me know they have no freaking clue who this old dude is that's like hitting them up on twitter um and then when they follow the rabbit trail back and they see who i am and what i do it makes sense to them but it's really like extending that olive branch and just and just showing up for people letting them know that they're seen and that they can do it and i think that genuine care has been how we've been able to build a community that we're a part of now it's so cool to to hear this from you and it's it's very similar in the purely podcasting world people get down on the numbers uh they don't grow as fast they have a big interview with some big name it doesn't boost things where they thought it would and it and it the the message from most successful hosts is what you're saying which is that value that that genuine connection with the super fans or the the authentic audience who's engaged and consistently putting that out and showing up again and again and continuing to do it and so it's great to hear that reflected here as truth as like that is the way to make impact and to make make something that's larger than ourselves. And I can't remember what the first video was that I saw you, but I hadn't had a single day in the classroom. And I watched your classroom management things. And that, you know, I just I felt like I was equipped to go in with some understanding of what I could expect uh, to go wrong. And, you know, everything still went wrong over and over and over and over again. And I, there was days where I felt like crying because I felt like I failed them. And I was just like being a mean person and trying to get them to do what I wanted. And there was other days where we had, I would wanted to cry out of happiness because we genuinely connected and something greater happened. And we were like freestyling or something and they wanted me to keep going. And it was like just these moments of connection. And I felt like I had so much more tools. So that power to impact people outside of our own little sphere is what excites me about podcasting. And that's why I call this show Be On Air, because I believe we have this power to put our voice on the airwaves and to, to communicate with the global community. And, um, you know, you're teaching the global classroom, right, with your channel. And that's opening up. And then all these people are coming together and uh, sharing sharing with you how you impacted them or sharing ideas or inspiration. And it's growing and growing and growing. And I, I do get this feeling that we're all in this classroom together. <laughs> yeah. I, dude, I think that's that's so important, especially for anyone that's considering like making a podcast or creating any kind of content on, on social or on YouTube or something like that, is that knowing that you, you just don't know who's watching. Like you don't know who's, who's going to, who's having a, who had an awful day, picks up their phone, looks up classroom management, looks up what do I do when kids want to go to the bathroom, like all the time, looks up what happens when no one does their homework or, or even if they're not in education, like whatever they're going through and to find something that's authentic out there that wasn't just produced by some like company, or if it was like, is it, are they using people that are genuine in those moments um, that's it. I mean, I just think that that's like, you could be the help for someone in when they're having like a, a dark night, um, to, to, to be that beacon of hope just by being the real you, not, you know, phony you. That's why, I mean, we call it real rap with Reynolds because it's like, that's what my students call real talk. Uh, it's, it's, it's no nonsense. And so still get emails from people. I got one today from some guy that was like, 
yo, I love the music that you're making, man. Do you need beats? And I'm like, bro, I don't, I don't rap. Like, this is how this is like, uh, it's not a skill set I possess. But um, it's just being that authentic version of yourself, and and that goes everywhere. Yeah, I love that. The um, the attention comment about you know Gary V talks about it a lot with you know everything's the the real currencies attention and and i think that's true and i also think it's only like one part of the dimension and seth godin talks about trust and i think that's what you're talking about is yes. is that that's a that's an even deeper piece like you can have tons of attention and it's a vanity metric but you have trust from five people and that's a tribe <laughs> you know that's that's something that's gonna create change in the world and so i think that's really beautiful and one of the messages i'm hearing from you is just like even in the earlier days people were coming out of the woodwork being like hey this is really wonderful i love seeing into here and it's like i think that's what keeps us going as content creators and podcasters is that feedback from the audience and hearing that what we're doing is isn't falling on deaf ears and it is somehow creating some sort of positive impact. And, you know, I want to zoom out into a uh, more like topical thing because there's so much content out there and there's so many inspiring people like yourself out there. And I'm curious for you as a teacher building lesson plans and, and just always, I'm sure coming across memes and gadgets and things. How do you, this is a technical question, but like, how do you go about collecting and storing inspiration and information and then actually doing something with it? Cause we're in the age of information, but it's like, what do we do with it? And I'm, I'm curious if you have any tools, systems, methodologies you use for when you find good lessons, good, you know, just good content out there that you want to integrate. I literally just cleaned this up today. My desk back here was covered with posted notes. I have posted notes. My workstation usually looks like, I don't know, like one of those murder mystery movies where like <laughs> someone has like stuff like pinned all over the wall on the street. Yeah. That's what I'm just like, look like I'm trying to get to the bottom of the case all the time. That's cool. And so then what I typically do is like, I look, look, I'm always looking for inspiration everywhere. Right. So like whether that, and and I get more inspiration from like um, business books that I read that inform my classroom practices than almost any teacher book that I read. So like, it's not looking at listening to a podcast on business and just thinking about like, how can I use this in my business? It's like, well, what are, are there any tools to use anywhere? Right. Cause good, good practices are just good practices. Like I think there's more to learn about student teacher relationships through like, if you just thought of your students as like, what if you had like good customer care? Like, what if you had just like good, like your customer service was on point. You are, when you do that, when your customer service is on point, you're trying to see someone, trying to hear their problem, trying to come to a collaborative decision as to like, how it's going to work out best for both parties, instead of just being like a jerk about it, you know? Um, so that, so I'm always looking for it everywhere. I think Pinterest is fascinating because especially when I think about like classroom design, I never look at other teachers and what they're doing. I look at like, what is like anthropology's like seasonal decor look like this year? Like what kind cause they just think out, out of the box. Like, so in my classroom, I had these flying books in my room. Um, that came from an anthropology. That's where that came wow. from was this anthropology, uh, setup that they had in one of their stores. And the cool thing about their stores is like, they never look the same all the time. I like going down rabbit holes. There's uh, like where I'll find like an editor that I really like, or like a graphic designer that I really like, or listening to podcasts like, uh, like Debbie Millman's design matters, right? So I'll find somebody that I like, and then you just go down rabbit holes. And then I'm constantly screenshotting stuff or, you know, taking pictures of it. And then what I do with all that is 
Um, even when I write notes, I take pictures of everything and I just have like master files on my desk. Now look, the idea there is not that you always have to go back and touch that stuff again, right? You never have, like sometimes I never read, and I have tons of those field notes, notebooks in my house, tons of them. Sometimes, yep, there you go. Um, it, it, is, uh, it is something that I don't always have to go back and read. The practice is that I'm constantly looking for stuff, right? It's like being a DJ. You're constantly digging in crates, trying to look for new sounds, new music, new samples you can use on your songs. You're not going to use all that stuff, but it's the practice of looking for that stuff constantly that is, I just think it keeps you in a frame of mind where like, oh, we went from virtual learning to like back to school or, oh, this year I'm stuck in a cart. Like I wish I had a teacher cart. I would have the greatest teacher cart that ever lived in the history of the world. I would have like bubbles that came off. There'd be lights, it'd be like a party in the hallway. And so, but it's because you're constantly in that mindset of looking at things from a different angle and looking for inspiration everywhere you go. Mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Have you heard of this uh, app called Notion? I ha- uh, My assistant tries to get me to use Notion all the time. I just it, haven't taken the plunge. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I also use this system called bullet journaling using a bullet journal. And there's like a whole a whole system for how you track and log things. I've tried a lot of stuff. I, I still rely heavily on a Trello a Kanban board system, but Notion is really interesting because it's this infinitely deep note journal page thing that you can go in all the like as deep in as you need. Um, and what I've been doing because I'm I think I'm like you in that sense. I'm always collecting things, but it gets super overwhelming. I have this huge gigabytes of information inspiration, but it's like, what am I then going to do to? do something with it. And so I've been playing around using Notion to organize. So I'll go back through all journals, all the post-it, all the field notes, all the YouTube playlists, and I'll try and kind of pull out the cream of the crop and organize it in the in the Notion board. And I'm having mixed results, but it, it definitely helps at least make things searchable and present. And then I can kind of have my own hashtags on things. And I think that's so fun. And it kind of ties into my next question, which is like, how would you recommend, especially just podcasters, but also, you know, being po- podcasters as educators, how do we make our information more relatable and accessible to the people that we're, we're trying to share it with? I, everything I do. So when I, when I wrote my book, right, I did not want to write a book that was like, and I, I think this plays into your question. That's why I'm, t- so even if folks aren't ever going to write a book, when I was writing it, my friend, Adam welcome said, I was like, bro, like, I'm not sure. Like, I don't want to come off like, like a professor. I don't want to come off like a know-it-all. He's like, bro, write your book. Like you and I are sitting in your backyard, having beer on a Friday night. Like that's how you should write your book. Like, it's just a conversation. And I just think what happens when we do that is we, I think it frees us up to not, if I'm having a conversation and having over a beer, I'm not worried that I'm going to say the wrong thing. If I do, I say, bro, my bad. That was like completely out of pocket. Like I apologize or whatever, but it is the flow kind of takes over. Right. And so you can see when, if you talk to your students, you probably don't talk to your friends the same way, right? Like for a lot of educators, if you are a parent, you don't talk to your kids the same way that you do your your neighbors, you know, the people at the post office, what I try and do is talk to everyone the same, right? Like I, my students, I talk to them like I do when I'm talking to you. Like if I, if I need to get real with someone, it's like, bro, you got to knock it off. Come here. We got to have some real rap real quick. And then we have real conversations about stuff where I break things down in a way 
that kids just understand it. And the same thing is with teaching with teachers. I think, you know, authenticity in this space is so important because it was just funny because Seth Godin just talked about this in a podcast I listened to the other day. He said he thinks authenticity is overrated, but within regards to what we're doing, telling people that you have bad days when you teach, I think let's it like it lowers the bar that it's like, oh, you're not on 11 every single day. You're not crushing it every single day. This isn't like a movie every single day. Like, no, some days are really difficult. Some days, like I've had people that, what do I do when people die in my family that, and then I have to go teach the next day. What do I do when a student has a family member that gets murdered? Or what do I do when one of my students gets, you know, unfortunately we've had a number of kids over the years get killed um, to any number of reasons. And so it's like, So how do you show back up to school with that heartbreak, right? Like it's, you can't be on 11 every day. This is not Disney world. And so how are we, I think in the space of podcasts, it is, how are you bringing your authentic voice? And then what are people looking for? Like, what does that voice sound like? So for me, I mean, Real Rap with Reynolds is really just trying to, you know, what we're saying is that we are creating pathways and pipelines to help teachers be the teachers they were called to be. And I think that for me, looks like being a well-rounded individual that of course I want to, su- to, to succeed. I want my business to succeed. I want my students to succeed. I want to go into school and have a great time every single day. But when that doesn't happen, can I note that? And then how am I going to grow out of that? It is that piece of authenticity of transparency. I'm not trying, if you came into my room, you'd see exactly what you see on YouTube. It is, it is no different. I talk to the kids the same way. I do the same stuff. That is empowering um, because I don't have to be something else, right? Like I can be a failure and still show up and be like, let me share this train wreck that happened today. When this like class I thought was going to be awesome. I thought this lesson was going to be great. This trip was going to be great. And like, it just fell to pieces. Um, I can still show up and be real. And then what everyone's waiting for is that hope. How am I going to come out of it? Cause you always come out of it. And then I can share that story as well. Yeah, like sharing our humanity and that can actually be more reassuring than an impossible ideal that we never feel like we can measure up to that we're projecting onto someone learning that, oh, they have bad days too, they have hard times and look how they get through it. Actually, that provides a bridge and, and, a, and a pathway, a pipeline to, to something greater. So I feel like that's just so essential. Wow. You know, as we, as we wind down, we're getting towards the end here. I just have like a couple, a couple more questions. One, uh, I'm curious, what is going on for you right now? That's exciting you and that, you know, that you're, that you're working on just what's current for you. So, you know, 2019 into 2020 was like nonstop speaking, finishing the book, really trying to fine tune some things that we were working on. And then COVID hits and it's like, you know, I was probably just like most of the country. I was like, just, you know, drinking beer and eating cookie dough all day thinking like, this is the end anyway, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, But, you know, what what it's really done for us is it has like speaking has come to a halt because no one's having speakers unless it's virtual. And those are, you know, what we're seeing is that like, the last thing teachers want to do is sit in front of a computer to watch somebody else talk when it's like, dude, I've been doing this all day. Like this is literally the last thing I can think of that I want to do. So what we've really been working on is like trying to help businesses and getting to work with all these really great companies that have come out of nowhere that are like, Hey, we need to be in the online space 
in a real way, like yesterday, can we partner on and doing something? And that has been like, I never thought I'd have like some fortune 500 company, like bro, like I'm literally sitting in my laundry room right now. Like if you see the other side of me, there's like tons of laundry we're working on. There's like kitchen cabinets that are half built from Ikea that I'm putting up together for my kitchen. Um, <laughs> it's like real life is happening. And then you are, but then you're on the phone with someone and they're like, oh yeah, like the people from TikTok like want to have a conversation with you and you're like, what? Like what? Like I couldn't get, I couldn't get five kids to participate in class today, but now like I'm on the phone with someone that's just like, oh no, we want to like partner with you to do this thing. And it's like, it's, it's so mind boggling. I'll be honest with you, bro. It's just been fun. Like that's such a fun thing. Cause then I get to go to school and be like, yo, guess what? I don't have a TikTok account, but like, I'm going to build it because I'm partnering with TikTok and we're building this thing and we're going to do this activity together. What? Um, and the kids are like, what, what, what are you even talking about? So again, it all comes back in many, many ways to just fulfilling our mission with, with our company, which is like, we want to be an answer to prayer. We want to be a blessing to people and, and help people where we can. And just all this stuff just allows you to do it even more is just awesome. It's super fun. That is so, that is so epic to hear and inspiring. And just your, your, the, the fact that you're having fun with it still is extra inspiring and the realness of being in the laundry room. I love that. I love that. I'm curious, you know, just for the benefit of myself and, and anyone who's listening, uh, if you could only name two books, what two books would you name? I would say Tattoos on the Heart by uh, Father Gregory Boyle is one of my favorite books. He's one of the greatest human beings ever. He on, runs this company in, uh, he's a Jesuit priest in South Central Los Angeles that works with gang members and has created himself pathways and pipelines to help folks that have been caught up in the system to still live a life um, that's fulfilling. And even if you're not religious, like if you read that book, it will just fill you with a level of hope that you are like, bro like i need to like i want to just change the world now too like it just fills you up and i'd say you know, one of my favorite books of all time i read it every year is called i feel great and you will too which is a super cheesy title but it's by this guy pat croce who used to own this philadelphia 76ers and one of the things i love about his book is like is um it's kind of like how he came from like total blue collar family and then grew to becoming the owner of the philadelphia 76ers and but like how he did it and how he had a good time. Like, I just think that like finding success and not having fun doing it is like such a waste of time. Like, do you think Willy Wonka ever went to work and was like, damn, the grind, the Oompa Loompas are just not churning the chocolate like I told him to. No, that guy's a freaking blast every day, man. Yeah. And so that's an inspiration for me is like, how can I do, how can I go to work every day? How can I do YouTube every day? How can I do this business? How can I be a parent, a husband, a dog owner? And like, try to like enjoy the whole process. Um, it's just fun. Like I just enjoy doing it. So yeah, those are my top two. The, those are awesome. I haven't heard of either of them. I'm super excited to check them out. I'm going to get them on my reading list and uh, definitely recommend everyone. I'm going to also get uh, teacher class off, uh, which I'm sure is available on Amazon and I'll put all the links in the show notes. CJ Reynolds, I am so grateful for your time. You dropped so much wisdom. There, there was just like so much there to uh, to continue to meditate on. Uh, but I'm so grateful for your generosity and what you're doing, your mission. You really, you really are touching lives and affecting students all over the world. So thank you so much for what you do and for the time that you shared with us today. I appreciate it, man. That really mean, it means a lot. It's not lost on me. Um, and look, I'm going to say this too because I, I don't know if you hear this enough. 
I think creating podcasts like this is really what you're doing is empowering other people to feel like they can actually do it. Um, and that's a big deal. Like in, in a world that is very, very narcissistic and I, not to be like, I'm wearing an action movie, like in a world where everyone's narcissistic, <laughs> but like, right. That's like the jam, right? That's what Instagram and stuff is about. But like to be putting stuff out there, that's just empowering other folks. Good work, man. That is, it's important. And I appreciate it. I really, I really appreciate that feedback. That means a lot coming from you and definitely realized how difficult it is. And I know that I can do it and I know other people can do it. And I, I think sharing that, uh, that true challenge and true fulfillment and the joy in it is, is really beautiful. And it's fun to just be part of this whole crazy journey with yeah. all you other wonderful humans out there. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your time, Reynolds. This was awesome. My pleasure, bro. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Beyond Air. I hope you enjoyed it and are now one step closer to turning on your microphone and broadcasting your message to the world. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know how I can help you on your broadcasting journey by getting in touch with me and maybe even apply for a strategy session if you want to discuss your podcast idea. You can reach me at www.podcast-farm.com. Until next time, my friends, I'm Kaylee Marks, and thanks for tuning in to Be On Air.